For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm, mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. I participate in McDonald's. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Right now, and we all admit that, right now, if we had an explosion of an H5N1, we would not be prepared for that. That was uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci in 2005. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci in 2005. And the reason I play that clip, that was from a 60 Minutes interview that he did, is because it's so important for us to understand that, of course, they've been talking about this since then. You know, the National Health Institute has been given billions of dollars to try to prepare for this. The CDC has also known, you know, they try to put the shift. And I'm not talking about Adam shift. I'm talking about they shift all the blame onto President Donald Trump. And I'm talking about the New York Times and the Washington Post. We saw it this weekend with targeted, targeted and this is how Washington, D.C. works, folks. So I want you to understand that. This is how they do it. When they have somebody they want to target, like President Trump, it doesn't matter what it is. They will make it his fault. They want to make this President Trump's fault, coronavirus. They're trying to say that there's all these deaths are his fault. You know, uh, these secret sources, uh, like in the secret sauce of Washington, telling them all of these little things like, oh, U.S. intelligence had been warning them. U.S. intelligence, and by the way, the World Health Organization, which is, uh, you can't even trust them, and uh, everybody else have been talking about this for decades. This is nothing new. We've all known about this, including the people that have, should have been prepared for this which was, of course, the CDC, which is, of course, the National Health Institutes, which is, of course, the World Health Organization, if it wasn't in the pocket of China, um, which is, of course, everybody else on planet Earth and every other government that has been concerned about the issue of a pandemic. You can't erase stuff like this. You want to know why? Because this is about a virus, right? This is about something that happens naturally in the Earth. And the best we can do is be prepared for it the best we can do. We can't eliminate this. It's something that happens and has happened since the beginning of man. I mean, we have had viruses. Now, sometimes there's ways to mitigate this, and there's been talks about shutting down the wet markets in China. Yes, please. I mean, it is just not sanitary any way you look at it. And, you know, there have been warnings about this. I read a 2017 study 
about this, that there were already warnings that these bats and there were other issues, not even the bats that were being sold at the wet markets, but other bats in China that were carrying the coronavirus. There was uh, fear that this would explode into some type of pandemic with human to human transmission. We have to be concerned about this. And I know that there's a lot of you out there. I see on Twitter, there's so much anger. I I feel it too. I mean, and confusion as to what's going to happen next. We're going into our fifth week of lockdown here in Virginia. I don't know how long you've all been under different various forms of lockdown um, at home uh, with your families, not going to work. Some of you have lost your businesses. Some of you may not have a job to go back to. And that is very frightening. And that really concerns me because this is the United States of America. And we have to ask ourselves, what is this based on? I I did an opinion piece. It's on sarahcarter.com. And I think it's very important. I think it's something that we have to look at, which is that Representative Chip Roy has now called for hearings. Uh, he's with the House Oversight and uh, Committee, and he is calling for hearings on the models that are being used, basically, and that were used, that led to the shutdown on coronavirus. These, these are these models that we see Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and others talking about and how they've changed so much. So remember, the first models were from Imperial in London, Imperial College in London, which were saying 2.2 million, million deaths. That's what we were estimating based off that model. That model has been found to be flawed. Uh, the models now have gone down uh, in those estimations, 100,000 to 200,000 deaths in the United States. And now we're seeing um, another model that says 60,000 uh, or less deaths. We don't know. All I'm saying is there are more questions than answers here. And this is the reason why I published uh, this opinion piece uh, on my website, sarahcarter.com, and you can go there and read it. But we do not know. And Congressman Chip Roy is right. We need to get Democrats on board, and we need to find out what is going on here because we shut down our entire economy. It has come to a grinding halt. A grinding halt. And remember this. The only way to combat fear is to know the facts. We can't just be afraid of finding out the truth. We need to know the truth. We need to ask questions. We need to say, well, why? Why is this happening? How can this be happening? What do we need to do from here on out? We need a task force that deals with the economy, which is what is happening, I am told. You know, people I've talked to in the administration, and by the way, I have uh, an administration official with us today who is going to be talking to us about China, about our technology, about our economy, about the future. And that is the FCC commissioner, Brendan Carr. He wrote this incredible uh, opinion editorial that I, I tell you, you really have to read. It's in the National Review. It's called Nationalizing 5G is Not the Way to Beat China. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Carr. Thank you. We do not want to nationalize. We do not need to copy China. We have seen the evidence of China and what China has done to us as a nation. And we don't need to follow in China's footsteps at all. And he explains why. 
And he also talks about the threat China poses to us on the national security level. And he talks about, I mean, Commissioner Carr goes into detail. He he reveals quite a bit about where the FCC is going as far as the Department of Justice's recommendation on China Telecom, that we do not allow China Telecom in this country. There are reasons, of course, they have a right to argue their side. But remember, China Telecom deals directly with the It is the Chinese government, folks. Is that what we're going to do now? We're going to allow, I mean, it's it's a totally new way of thinking of capitalism, right, China? Because it's not. It's like you got these companies and they're all controlled by Chinese communist government. And the Chinese, the Chinese for decades have been basically a national security threat at its finest. And also ripping off, ripping off all of our trademarks, ideas here in the United States, we are constantly at a battle with China. We are constantly battling them. I remember my first time uh, covering the Pentagon. One of the big stories that I was looking into was a, and this was years ago, maybe at the very beginning of the Obama administration. It was a young Chinese student that went to school here in Virginia and uh, apparently Nobody knew until he left and basically wrote an op-ed in one of the Chinese communist government papers that he was actually working for the Chinese Communist Party. He was in the military. He was a colonel, I believe. And he, and I'm just going through my memory here, otherwise I would try to pull up the story for you, but I'm coming from my memory. He had basically gone seven layers deep into the Pentagon into the Pentagon to spy on the United States. And he did it right here from a Virginia university. And he lived very close to the Pentagon when he did it. The Chinese are constantly going after us. Do you think if they put a 5G system, if we allowed them into our country, what do you think would happen with that system? What do you think happens with China Telecom? What do you think happens with them? And I think it'll be very interesting, and you'll find it very interesting to hear what Commissioner Carr has to say about that, what he has to say about this crazy petition from the left to basically try to stop President Trump from from actually speaking to the American people directly and how there are people out there who don't want you to hear from the president they don't want you to hear from Dr. Fauci. They don't want you to hear from Dr. Burks. They do not want you to be informed. They just don't want you to be informed. They think they know better. Remember, there's a whole group of these folks out there that think they know better than you. Yeah, one of them was, and I'll we'll get into that next time, but, uh, oh, wait, let me remember. Um, former CIA director John Brennan, he knows what's good for you, right? He's always telling us that. Oh, yeah. And former FBI director James Comey. We've kind of forgotten about these folks and and James Clapper and all of them. Uh, we've kind of forgotten about the the cabal of people that know what's best for you. Uh, they've kind of gone to the side with, of course, the tragedy of this global pandemic coronavirus. And I, I do have some numbers to read to you. I always try to do that. I try to keep you informed of what's going on and how we're dealing with that here at the Sarah Carter Show. But right now we have cases worldwide that have topped 1.8 million on Sunday. 
And then we have a global death toll that rose above 110,000, and that's according to Johns Hopkins University. United States, we've seen... uh, it's terrible. We have deaths passing now 22,000. But remember, we have a lot of questions about these deaths, too. There have been a lot of questions. Is is everybody that has died from coronavirus actually died from the coronavirus, or was there something else mitigating that death? So there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered, but still horrible tragedy, 22,000 people. Um, we have New York City reporting over 104,000 infections. And the United States has confirmed uh, more than 556,000 cases of people with coronavirus. So that's something that we definitely, definitely uh, are concerned with here. I want to play you a sound clip. And this is important. And this is going back to China because that's where our focus is going to be. And we have Commissioner Carr on. But this is a clip from Senator Tom Cotton who I hope to have on the Sarah Carter show very soon. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton is calling for China to be held accountable in this pandemic outbreak. And I want you to hear what he has to say. Brian, let's remember that the China virus could have been a local health problem in Wuhan if the Chinese Communist Party had been transparent and honest and not been so corrupt from the very beginning. Instead, they unleashed a global pandemic. So there are many ways in which China is going to pay for this pandemic. One will be the basic removal of fundamental manufacturing capacity from China, what they've used to get rich in recent decades, like bringing pharmaceutical and medical device, medical supply manufacturing back to the United States. I hope we do that. I hope this isn't just talk from Washington, D.C., I believe that Senator Tom Cotton actually wants to do this. And I believe there's a lot of others, a lot of other lawmakers that are saying the same. But we have got to stick with it. We can't just say something and then uh, let it go three or four months from now when we think the American public isn't paying attention. That's what got us into this mess to begin with. When I used to cover the Pentagon for The Washington Times, I remember asking questions about China. Bill Gertz, by the way, an incredible, incredible journalist covering China his entire career, would ask some of the toughest questions on China. And guess what would happen to him? They wouldn't want to answer his questions. They would try to bar Bill. I remember, oh, Bill isn't coming to this one, is he? He's going to ask us questions on China at the Pentagon. Because nobody wanted to hold China accountable. You know, people are all in the pockets of these big manufacturing companies and everybody's getting cheap labor. Well, we could see now, and we've known this for some time, the human rights abuses in China, but now a worldwide pandemic, a worldwide pandemic that they lied to us about, lied to the entire world about, and lied to their own people about. There are people in China that do not want this Chinese communist government, but they have no voice. By the way, they have no power. We saw what happened to them over and over again. Every time young Chinese, even elderly Chinese people stand up to the Chinese government, what happens to them? They disappear. They get squashed. They're not allowed to speak freely. They are not allowed. So let's hold China accountable. If its own people can't, Let's do that on a global stage. Let's hold China accountable for what happened and what is happening right now. And I want to play Attorney General William Barr 
brilliant interview on Laura Ingram last week. It's two days of just phenomenal interviews by Fox News's host, Laura Ingram, who is a friend of mine. I thought she had the best interview yet with William Barr. She really held him to task and asked every question she could possibly ask. Uh, could we play that clip, Adam? The Chinese are engaged in a full-court blitzkrieg uh, of stealing American technology, trying to influence our, our political system, uh, trying to uh, steal uh, secrets uh, at our research universities and so forth. Uh, and uh, we are focused like, uh, on it. We have something we call the China Initiative. We brought a lot of indictments, but it's something that we also have to expose by letting the business community understand exactly the nature of the threat. He is so right. Attorney General Barr is, I mean, I, this is the nature of the threat. Here's a story that a lot of people don't even know. And this deals with, you know, Chinese scientists and the concerns that our U.S. intelligence community has with regard to scientists from China working in the United States. And one story in particular deals with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and this was at Detroit Metro Airport. And it stopped a Chinese scientist that was carrying vials that were believed to contain MERS and SARS viruses. This was in November 2018. This is just a year before the first reported Wuhan coronavirus case. Think about that. That was first reported by Yahoo News, by the way. And these are concerns we have over and over again. You know, whether this virus was natural, whether it occurred naturally at a wet market or did this accidentally come out of a Wuhan lab, we don't have all the answers. Gordon Chang was on our show. He talked about this. Nobody has the answers to this yet because we are still investigating. And that's why Congress and our lawmakers need to be at the forefront of this. We need to be investigating this. We do need to be listening to our U.S. intelligence community. But our intelligence community also has to be focused in the right direction. I don't know who the sources are that are, you know, leaking to the New York Times or to the Washington Post that are focused on the president. I think those sources need to be focused on the Chinese Communist Party that did this to the entire planet that are responsible for all of these deaths. That's what our U.S. intelligence community should be focused on. They should be focused on China and finding out the truth and what that truth is so that we can all get back to a normal life. Because I'm not one of the ones that's going to believe that because we have coronavirus, we're never going to get back to a normal life. I don't, I don't think it's acceptable to tell people maybe for the rest of their lives they're going to be wearing masks to go to work. No. We're going to find something. We are going to come out of this. We are going to find something to treat uh, this COVID-19 virus. We are going to find a way to move forward. I truly, truly believe that. But then we got to be on the offensive. We can never find ourselves in this position again. We have to be ready. We have to be ready for anything that comes at us. And that means CDC, you out there, governors, you out there, everybody, who has any role to play in this needs to be preparing because will there be a second wave? I don't know. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. They're telling us sometime in the fall, maybe a second wave of COVID. And we don't even have the answers of how this coronavirus is going to handle itself in the summer, let alone in the fall. You and I are sitting at home teaching our kids from home wondering, you know, when is this going to end?
How are we going to get back to normal? Will I have a job tomorrow? What will happen to my country? And those are the questions that we need answers. And those are the reasons why I have SCC Commissioner Brendan Carr on with us today because everybody has a little piece to this puzzle. I know you out there want to hear what our administration is doing. You want to cut out all of that extraneous sound that is people that are trying to stop the administration from telling you directly what is happening in our country. Well, they're not going to do it here at the Sarah Carter Show. And that's why we have Brendan Caron with us today. He was nominated to serve as the commissioner of the FCC by President Donald Trump. And he was confirmed unanimously, folks, by the United States Senate in 2017. In 2019, Carr was nominated by the president and confirmed by the, se- uh, the Senate to serve a new five-year term at the FCC. He focuses on regulatory reforms. He holds China accountable. He wants to create jobs in the United States and grow the economy. This is the kind of man we need in the administration and somebody who is not afraid to speak up. Commissioner Carr, thank you so much for being here at the Sarah Carter Show. I really appreciate it, and I understand how busy you've all been. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I, you know, there's so many people out there, so many Americans who uh, need a better understanding of what's happening here with China. And uh, personally, I think you're the man to discuss this with them because, uh, you know, with the FCC being in charge of so many of the changes that we're seeing and also being responsible for for the future and our relationship with China, you've been very outspoken. I, I got to tell you, first of all, uh, and I spoke about this in the opening of, of my podcast, but I I've never read such a great column about China as, as the one that you wrote uh, regarding nationalizing 5G is not the way to beat China. And I want you to be able to explain that to the listeners because uh, your focus is like, look, let's not copy China here. Let's not try to nationalize the 5G system, but let's do something different. Let's be innovative. Let's make us the envy of the world. We already are with a 4G. Let's keep doing that moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about the 5G and what that means, how it'll change America and why we should keep that, uh, not nationalize it, but keep it in private enterprise? Thanks. 5G is going to be a game changer. Think about it as the platform upon which our economy is going to be built going forward. Everything from you know autonomous cars, internet of things, and really 5G and the internet generally is going to help power us as we engage in this next great comeback for the country after COVID. And frankly, in 2015 and 2016, we were at serious risk of seeding U.S. leadership in 5G, the billions of dollars in investment, the millions of jobs that it's going to bring to China. We were falling behind. And this administration has stepped up, has prioritized 5G, and we flipped the script. We now have the strongest 5G platform in the world. And that is a great thing. We need to let the private sector continue to let it rip rather than getting the government more involved in terms of ownership or running these networks. Why do you think that's happened? And then I'm going to jump to China and uh, the atrocities with the coronavirus. But why do you think it's happened that within the administration, uh, within our own government system, that people are talking about or throwing around the idea about nationalizing it? Well, people understand that we have to beat China to 5G. And what a lot of people don't realize is the progress that we've made under current leadership of the last two or three years. The digital divide is closing. More miles of high-speed fiber have been built out than ever before. 
Internet speeds are up 85 percent since inauguration. So the data shows us that what we're doing is working. But people have the common goal of let's get 5G everywhere in rural communities. And so when people want that goal, sometimes they come up with odd ideas for how to get there. The key is to let the private sector keep going, let it rip. That's the best way to get 5G to every community. Such an important statement. I want to talk a little bit about China. You've been very outspoken, uh, Commissioner. I I have to say thank you for your tweets. I mean, it's, it's a government official, a U.S. government official, really holding China accountable for what's happened inside China to its own people as well as to the rest of the world, you know, particularly with uh, citizen journalists, many of whom, uh, you know, at SarahCarter.com, we've reported uh, on their stories coming out of China and then they've disappeared. We've also seen doctors and nurses and health officials that have just disappeared as well out of China who were trying to get the truth about the virus out to the rest of the world uh, as early as December. Um, some people would even say there were some speaking out in mid-November. Uh, you have held China accountable. You've said, listen, if you extend an invitation, I will go to China and interview these people myself, these, these people who have disappeared. Talk a little bit about that and talk about what has happened here with China. What do you think this virus, in a sense, has exposed to us about this communist government and and its malintentions towards the West. There's a direct correlation between the oppressive and brutal nature of the communist regime and the global spread of COVID. And so Americans across the country are feeling this in their pocketbook, losing their jobs, their kids having to take you know school from home. Those are direct impacts on almost every American that are coming from the brutality of the communist regime. To your point, there were hero doctors, citizen journalists in Wuhan early on, whether it was December or January, that tried to sound the alarm and warn the world about what was taking place. The Chinese regime, the communists, dragged many of them from their home in the middle of the night, forced them to sign confessions saying that they weren't actually telling the truth when they were talking about the human-to-human -human transmission of COVID. And these people have never been heard from again since that's taken place, except their social media profiles have been activated and have continued to post in ways that don't match up with their posting beforehand. And that is really, I think, emotionally impacting to think about what has happened to these people that are either detained if they're still alive, and now the government has taken over the social media to try to make it sound like they are still with us. Right, which is the reason why you've extended that invitation as well to China to say, I would like to meet with them in person, which I think is highly admirable because when you think of the human rights abuses, you know, I always go back um, and thinking about uh, Tiananmen Square, right? And I, I always tell people when we're talking about China, I talk about the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese Communist government, not about the people of China because we know there are so many people in China that believe in human rights, that will that want to stand up to their government but feel powerless to do so. Tiananmen Square was an example of that uh, when we saw this lone man with his grocery bag standing in front of the tanks and uh, putting his life on the line. Uh, it was very symbolic. And I think even now when I think of these journalists and I think of these doctors and citizen journalists that are trying to tell or who try to tell the truth, I think of them as the same. I think of them as that lone citizens standing up to the tanks in China. And I was wondering, how does that affect your work and how you think about China and 
how do we resolve these issues of these human rights abuses when we have so much connection with China as far as an economy? Well, you're right. You know, a lot of people say right now, don't talk about the origins of COVID. Don't talk about it as the Chinese virus or Wuhan virus. It's racist to do that. It couldn't be anything farther from the truth. The Chinese people, as we've been talking about, have been most directly and most often brutalized by the communist regime. Talking about the origins of this is to talk about the failed and oppressive nature of the communist regime and to hold up the Chinese heroes that have been fighting back against that regime. And it ties into my work at the FCC because we review companies that are ultimately owned and controlled by the communist government and whether they should be allowed to connect or continue to connect to the U.S. telecom network, which carries all the traffic that is vital to our daily lives from economic activity to health to power grids. And the key question there is trustworthiness. Do we trust that a company, if it is in fact controlled by the communist regime, to connect to our network and to carry our data? And if there's anything that we've seen over the last couple of weeks with what China is willing to do to hide the truth and disappear its own people, that really calls into question whether we should be trusting companies that have to respond to the regime. Well, the Department of Justice and uh, many people within the executive branch are saying, look, they're they're calling on the FCC to say, let's block China Telecom. We don't want them to operate here in the U.S. It's a potential national security threat. And I think you highlighted some of those threats. Can you talk a little bit more in detail uh, to the layman out there, to the regular folks out there about why this is such a potential threat to them? So as you pointed out, the Department of Justice just recommended that the FCC revoke the authority of China Telecom to connect to our networks. To bottom line this, years ago, under different uh, circumstances, China Telecom was authorized to connect to America's telecom network. And what does that mean? If you're making a phone call or other data transmission from, let's say, LA to DC, well, you may not know it, but in that transmission path, China Telecom could have a line. And once that traffic hits the China telecom line, it has the potential to reroute that traffic back to China before then delivering it to D.C. And we've seen some of that. Calls from L.A. go to China first, then to D.C. That's not the most direct route. So that gives us reason for concern. And that's why we've been taking concerted action at the FCC to stop new companies that are res responding to the communist regime from connecting and why DOJ has recommended that we look at those companies that are already here. Are you going to do it? Do you think that you're going to uh, go right up on DOJ's recommendations in an effort to squash that? We will certainly take up their recommendation and probably issue a show cause order here, which would allow China Telecom some process to make their case as to why they think DOJ is wrong. And then we'll reach an ultimate decision very quickly. I also think we should be reviewing, and I call for this, and in, in some ways we're already doing it, a top to bottom review of every single company uh, that could be controlled by the communist regime and whether they should be continued to allow to connect to our network. I mean, look, since day one in 2017, as we exited the Obama-Biden administration, this government has changed course and it saw something. We need to fundamentally rearrange our relationship with China. You're seeing it on the trade front and you're seeing it on telecom with whether it's China Telecom or Huawei or ZTE. We are finally showing some strength, whereas the prior approach was weak and timid. And that's not a knock just on Obama or Biden. It was bipartisan that we could sort right. of engage and appease. And I think we have rightly shifted. And I think COVID is going to continue to turn us towards a stronger posture with China.
Certainly, I agree with you 100%. This is not just President Obama. This wasn't the Obama administration's handling of China. We saw this during the Bush administration. We've seen this overall historically with China, um, particularly as we have so much investment in China. But I think this is the first administration really has stood up to China, stood up to the Chinese communist government and said no more. And one thing that I want to ask you before we get off, because there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but is, you know, the president's daily briefing. And this yeah. is something that you've spoken about before. Here's the president of the United States, the vice president of the United States as well, and their doctors uh, speaking directly to the American people. And yet you have these petitions floating around coming to you saying that, uh, you know, they they don't want them to air basically CNN, the mainstream cable news outlets, Fox, uh, MSNBC, the presidential daily briefings. And these are from groups that are definitely towards the left, but they're trying to get as many petitions and signatures as possible to stop the president's briefings. What is your take on that and how do you respond to that? We're seeing a coordinated campaign among left leaning groups to try to pressure broadcasters to stop covering the president's daily coronavirus briefing. And that campaign has now spilled over here to the FCC, where a left-wing group filed a petition asking us to bring down the hammer on broadcasters that still do cover the president's briefing. And you could dismiss that petition, and we have dismissed it already, as being a, a far-out idea. But the group that filed this petition is the same group that pushed for net neutrality before it was Democrat orthodoxy, when that was a third rail issue. So what they're doing here is they're laying down a marker and they're telling you when they get the votes again at the FCC, they're gonna be pursuing efforts to silence conservative voices. And so it's important that we dismiss the petition which we have, but we can't lose sight of this group is at the vanguard of Democrat telecom policies. They're telling us what their next move is gonna be. Explain to everyone out there what net neutrality is, because I don't think a lot of people have paid enough attention to this, and it's so vitally important, Commissioner. Sure. So two quick issues there. One, net neutrality is a concept of go where you want on the internet, go, you know, do whatever you want to do. That's easy. That's bipartisan. No controversy. The real thing here, though, is government control of the internet. So this far left group took this concept of net neutrality and tucked within it greater government control of the networks. That was a third rail idea, but they worked the Obama administration, flipped the president, got him to bowl over the then Democrat FCC, and they, for the first time in 2015, adopted this Title II government control of the internet. We reversed that in 2017, went back to the prior 20-year bipartisan approach, and what's happened since then? Internet speeds are up 70%. The digital divide has narrowed. There's more competition for broadband. And when you look at COVID right now, Big shock to our networks in terms of spikes in traffic with people working from home. The networks were robust enough to sustain that spike in traffic, in part because of all that investment that happened when we got the government out of the way with net neutrality. So let's put, hopefully, net neutrality in the rearview window as just a political talking point and focus on what matters, which is building up more high-speed internet so even more Americans are connected. And last but not least, I want to leave this up to you. What do you see the role of the FCC in the upcoming weeks, particularly uh, now that we're, I mean, there's 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 no answers yet as to what's going to happen with this uh, lockdown, whether we're going to come out of it yet, whether it's going to be a little bit more time. I don't know if you have any of those answers. I would love to know um, what you're hearing from the administration. But what is the role of the FCC in the upcoming weeks as we 
continue to deal with coronavirus and uh, move forward as a nation? We're doing a lot to continue to boost the network to make sure they have the capacity to handle the traffic. We are expanding programs for low-income Americans to make sure they can stay online and don't get cut off by their carriers. And telehealth is a big one. We have launched a new program starting today to support telehealth connections to people's homes. Think about this as the healthcare equivalent of shifting from Blockbuster to Netflix. Right now, we don't want people going to physical brick and mortar facilities that don't need the level of care provided there. So with this new program, we can make sure people stay home and with an app right on your phone, uh, you can get connections to healthcare providers that can save money and hopefully help save lives. So pushing this new telehealth initiative out across the country quickly is a big focus for us right now. Commissioner Carr, I think you're right. I, I, I think this is the most interesting subject of all is telehealth because there are so many times where we just need to call our doctor. We don't really need yeah. to go in, but maybe if they could see us, see the children, you know, we have a kid who's maybe sick, but is just a small fever. Could we get a prescription for something? Could they take a look? Uh, telehealth is revolutionary. It changes the way people visit their doctors and handle their medical care. And I think you're right. And so far, we're seeing that happening today. Do you see this as extending far beyond uh, coronavirus, that this is going to become a part of everyday life in America and, and globally? Yeah, this is the new trend. Uh, if you look at chronic diseases from diabetes to heart conditions, those can be treated from home. You can have a diabetic uh, who needs to measure their blood glucose levels. They can prick their finger, and I've seen this happen, and their iPad will register their number right then and there, and it will give them instant feedback. Eat this, don't eat this. That way we can keep people healthy and stop them from reaching a condition where they need to go to the emergency department, which is the highest cost area in our healthcare system. So we're saving substantial money for the healthcare costs in the country while improving outcomes. I think we're going to come out of COVID in a better shape with telehealth, and we're going to just try to keep moving that way. That's great. That's that's wonderful news to hear, um, Commissioner Carr. And thank you so much for the time you've given us today here at the Sarah Carter Show. I know everybody's very interested. I would love to bring you back and to talk a little bit more in depth about China uh, and and the threats of uh, that we're facing from nation states, uh, particularly communist states. And uh, would love to have you back on the show. That'd be great. Always happy to talk. It's 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 a pleasure. So here's what we know. We know now, based on the FCC commissioner's statements here at the Sarah Carter Show, that China, China Telecom, is on call. And it looks like the FCC commissioner is taking this very seriously. And he doesn't want to see us nationalize our 5G uh, future. That's not going to happen here. We are not China. We are the United States of America. And I was so grateful to have him on. And uh, thankfully, he's somebody who is not afraid to speak his mind and say it like it is. So for those of you in the administration out there that are preparing and planning and trying to push this idea of nationalizing 5G, you should really listen. You should really listen to what Commissioner Carr has to say. And for China... The ball is in your court and you are on check right now because you may, you may not be here for much longer. And I certainly hope that you're not. I do want to go to some news today that's very important. Of course, once again, it's hashtag fake news day uh, because the news uh, never stops. Uh, and they, and the reason I say this with hashtag fake news is because 
you know, instead of reporters actually calling the White House and asking questions, they just assume based on what they're seeing um, in a tweet or if they see somebody retweet something, they just assume that they know what President Trump is thinking and what he is doing, even when he never said anything. And this is what happened with Dr. Fauci. So Dr. Anthony Fauci, there's been all this fire Fauci, these hashtags out there. Um, President Trump uh, retweeted uh, a tweet out there regarding Dr. Fauci. It did have a hashtag fire Fauci in it. It was not a promotion of fire Fauci, though. He was questioning what the media was writing about him over the weekend. Remember those targeted stories I talked about at the top of the show with regard to the New York Times and the Washington Post. Uh, and he retweeted and basically uh, everybody went down on him. It was like, woo, right? It was like, it was all of a sudden President Trump is going to try to fire Fauci because uh, he retweeted Deanna Lorraine's tweet. She was this lady that was running against uh, Nancy Pelosi, didn't even, not by, I mean, less than 2% of the votes in California because so Democrat and so leftist, but they would never, ever get that. So it was less than 2%. So he retweets that. And then everybody's after him. And now there's been a clarification. Uh, Hogan Gidley, I know he's a White House uh, spokesman, Hogan Gidley, he said, this media chatter is ridiculous. Okay, he didn't say it like that, but <laughs> but he did send a statement. This media chatter is ridiculous. President Trump is not firing Dr. Fauci. The president's tweet clearly exposed media attempts to maliciously push a falsehood about his China decision in an attempt to rewrite history. It was Democrats and the media who ignored coronavirus choosing to focus on impeachment instead. Yes, yes, that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. Remember in January, folks? Remember it was all about impeaching President Trump? This is all about impeachment. Impeaching President Trump. That's what it was about. And when they finally did comment on the virus, this is coming from Hogan Gidley, and when they finally did comment on the virus, it was to attack President Trump for taking the bold, decisive action to save American lives by cutting off travel from China and from Europe. He did that. And then they called him xenophobic. They called President Trump a xenophobe. They were angry at him for calling it the China virus. It is the China virus. It came from Wuhan. That's where it came from. Sarah, and the Chinese Sarah, have a lot to answer to. Haven't we been calling viruses by where they come from for a long time now? Absolutely, Adam. Absolutely. The Spanish flu, the Hong Kong flu, uh, MERS, which is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus, right? MERS came from the Middle East. The, I can keep going on and on and on. But epidemiologists name viruses from where they came from. That is, This is not to, you know say that there's some kind of a politically incorrect usage of the word China virus or Wuhan virus. But the Chinese government is responsible, Adam, for lying to us. And to all of you out there who are listening, who are now locked down in your home, you can thank China for this. You can thank China for this. This is not about President Trump. This is why I say over and over again, our U.S. intelligence agencies need to put their focus on China. And for those of you out there in the U.S. intel community who are targeting President Trump, you're wasting our time and our money. 
You're wasting our time and our money. Focus on China. Focus on the people that have actually done this to the American people and to the rest of the world and have done this to Italy and people that have died all over this planet from this virus because the blame falls solely on China. Thank you so much for being with me today, America. I know it's been tough on all of you. It's tough on me. It's tough on the world. We're dealing with a global pandemic. This feels like it's something out of sci-fi, but it's not. Something we're all in together. We've got to ask the right questions, get the right people, and that's why we're bringing them here to you directly from the Sarah Carter Show. And please, stay up to date with the latest stories at sarahacarter.com. Visit the website, sarahacarter.com, and follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. We are taking the story back, America. Thank you. God bless. You've worked so hard for all the things you have. The salary, the status, the success. And with that image, there's a drink. One to unwind, one to loosen up, one to take the edge off. But how do you know when a drink is more than just a drink? We get it. We can help. Karen's Grandview program has been helping accomplished people just like you regain their lives. Talk to us. Visit karen.org slash grandview. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.